when I was 20, I expected like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go have some shows. And then like a succession of things will play out and it will be a very straight path. And when it wasn't, I assumed it meant because the path was telling me that I shouldn't keep going. When in reality, it's like no part of the path is sometimes having to backtrack and like go off the beaten path and loop around a little bit before you can move forward. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Candid. I am so excited to be here today. Um, But I am a little sad because I'm here all alone. Allison just decided to fully ditch me this week because she's being a good host and having friends stay with her for the week. So she's just a little too popular for us guys. But don't worry, I am free as a bird and here to give you an episode for the week because why would I want to skip out on that? So today I'm so, so excited. Um, I decided, you know, this is a solo episode technically, but I wanted to talk about something that I have a great role model for in my life. And so I wanted to introduce you guys to her. So the topic today will be all around pursuing side hustles and the journey with like creative hobbies and turning that into something you can kind of more so rely on um, or learn to rely on more over time too to start making money from. And I think this is, you know, a topic that will relate hopefully to a lot of people because yes, we talk about our specific side hustles being more like uh, creatively related. So Erin, who I'm interviewing is an artist. I like in addition to pursuing this podcast, like to pursue photography. So we're kind of talking in the creative realm through this episode, but there's a lot just in general in this episode where we talk about your path, like discovering your path, um, the twists and turns that you don't necessarily expect along the way, and just sort of trusting trusting that process you know it's never too late to start something it's always okay to pause something and reflect so um, I think there's a lot of great general advice here as we're all you know especially I think at any point in life but especially as young adults trying to figure out like what the heck do we want to do and how do we get there so there's a lot of great tips in this episode Erin's a delight to talk to she's always given the best advice Um, a little bit of background, which you'll hear us mention slightly on the podcast. Um, Erin is my, she was my family's nanny um, for a long time when I was growing up and basically was like a big sister to me, uh, more than a nanny. So I am obsessed with Erin. She's an amazing figure in my life. Um, Her name is Erin O'Neill. Her art you can find on Instagram at Erin Elizabeth O. Art, Elizabeth with a Z, she emphasized. Um, So you guys will hear her shout that out also at the end of this um, podcast today. But wanted to give you a preview in case you want to look up Erin and know who exactly I'm chatting with. Um, And hopefully you guys can all go support her art. I have gifted her art 
to my parents before. Um, she did a commission of our house that we grew up in and I gave it to them for Christmas. And it was just such a thoughtful gift. And so if you guys have any gifts or reasons coming up that um, you would love to commission some art as well, I think it makes for a really thoughtful gift. And Erin is very, very talented at it. So um, I will kind of leave you with that before and before sharing the episode with you as well. Uh, I can give you a little recap into my past week. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because the episode's got great content. Um, but my past week was pretty exciting and abnormal because I was on vacation. So yay for not working. We we love taking our PTO. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous girls take their time off work. Everybody remember that. Everybody repeat after me, okay? Take your PTO. Um, and I went to Ireland with one of my friends. We just kind of said like, screw it. We're going to plan this trip. And if it happens because of, you know, if it happens to get canceled or something because of COVID, that's what happens. But I was like a little worried about that when we booked it, but I'm really glad we did because in the end we got lucky and things worked out. So when I'm thinking about my suite for the week, my favorite part of the past week was just obviously that that trip um, in so many ways. We were really fortunate while we were there because we had awesome weather. Like everybody talks about Ireland being gloomy and rainy and windy, which yes, it was very windy in certain parts, but we had sunshine and like 50 degrees for four days straight. Like we were so, so lucky. So I feel really grateful for that. And I was also, I think if I have to highlight specifically my favorite part, I was obsessed with Howth, Ireland, which is just a short train ride outside of Dublin. Such a charming little town. Um, I had no idea how beautiful these like coastal towns and countrysides were in Ireland. So if you ever get the chance to go, you absolutely 100% need to check out these little coastal towns. You need to order some fish, like a lot of fish, because you're, you know, on the ocean, um, basically. So that's what we did. And honestly, you get good food in me, you get me good weather, you get me a good view. Like that's, that's really all I need to be happy. It's pretty simple. Um, so that, that was one of my highlights of the trip among many, many others. Um, a sour for the week. So thinking about that trip, um, I would say I struggled a little on the journey home. I don't, I don't, I don't know what happens when you eat abroad. Sometimes it just doesn't go so well for people with sensitive stomachs like myself. And, you know, like it wasn't anything major. I was just kind of crampy, but we had like a 20 hour travel day. We were awake for 20 hours by the time I woke from when I woke up in Dublin to got getting back in Chicago, I was, I was up for like 21 hours or something crazy. And that entire period of time, my stomach was cramping and flipping and not wanting food and being nauseous, but then wanting food. And you're on a plane that's like a nine hour trip, you know, after a layover in this other plane. And so you're just like, of all the days to have stomach problems, that's not the best one. So lo and behold, everything's great because I got home safe and sound and that is most important, but traveling when your stomach is uneasy, you know, there's, there's better, 
there's better scenarios for your body to travel in. So we will just call that out because not everything is always blissful and perfect on these picturesque vacations. So we got to keep it real. We got to keep it candid and give you our little, my little sour. And finally, a suggestion for you all. Um, I'm going to keep this one general and I think I'm probably like the last person on earth to suggest this, but have you guys watched Euphoria? Because I didn't really get the hype around it. Like didn't understand why people were so obsessed with the show about high schoolers. And then I kind of binged it, um, around when I was right before I was leaving for Dublin. And then it was a great thing to binge on the flight as well. And I'm almost done with season two, but I just need to like remind people that high schoolers can have really thick, complicated, interesting plot lines because this show is really proving that. And I think what Euphoria does really well that also at the same time like pisses me off about it um, is how it just like basically makes you fall in love with all these broken characters and you try to really like root for them and then they just you know honestly keep fumbling and screwing things up and so that's a tough thing to to watch characters you love go through but you know what it is a good show in my eyes and it's keeping me entertained lately so if you need something that's probably more dramatic than your own life just to kind of keep things interesting I'd recommend it So that is where I'm going to leave you guys on my past week. If you need Ireland recommendations, please feel free to reach out. Um, If you don't know, Allison and I are on Instagram too, at CandidThePodcast with a little underscore. So definitely feel free to follow us there and we will keep you up to date on anything that pops up throughout the week throughout times that we are sharing episodes so go ahead and give that a follow if you'd like so now without further ado i'm gonna pop in this awesome episode um conversation interview that i had with lovely aaron o'neill all right thank you for joining me today aaron i'm so excited to get into side hustles with you and learn all about your art journey yeah I think the best place to start with anyone, any guest here is just for you to give the background about yourself, um, any introductions, if you want to share, you know, how you got into your hobby, things mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. and where it's taken you. So feel free to kick us off. Okay. So I would say um, I born and raised in the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. I went to art school in Kansas City. I went to the Kansas City Art Institute, um, ended up in Chicago, and then met my husband and have my daughter and live here in Chicago as my permanent home. And um, yeah, and I went to art school because I had a, a passion for art, obviously. Um, I I it was something I was innately good at. Um, another, I think another important thing to bring into how I ended up doing art is I also grew up with a chronic illness, um, with type one diabetes. And then I also grew up, um, with ADHD, which I still have, but was not very, um, 
wasn't really focused on treating it. Like it, it to me felt like this thing I needed to like overcome. And then I've learned, I've through the last year, I've been doing a lot of like mental health stuff and working with doctors. And I'm learning that like my ADD is not necessarily um, a bad thing. It just means that like, I have to do things differently because I intake information differently. So I bring this up because I think a lot of why I went after art is that when I was a kid, um, I would always say, oh, I wanted to be a scientist or an artist. And the general consensus was that like, well, you can't be both. That's absurd. They're very (laughs) different. And then I, as a kid, just really struggled with the school format. I was not good at doing homework. I was not good at studying. I was not a good student on paper. So by the time I was in high school, it was like, okay, well, everyone seems to think I'm good at this art thing. And I don't have to have great grades to go to art school. So probably I'm just going to go to art school. So I kind of felt like I was set in that path from Mm -hmm. pretty early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went to art and I, to art school, it was great. It was a positive experience. Um, but I think post art school, it was hard. Um, because when you're in art school, you're in this bubble where people really care about your ideas and you you're getting graded on your ideas. People are paying attention to them. And then you leave art school and then it's like, Oh, the world as at large doesn't necessarily need to pay attention to you. So how do you find your place in that um, when you've been going through your life feeling like I'm good at this thing, I'm good at this thing. And then it's not necessarily inheritedly valued right out the gate. Yeah. So you have to kind of build, you kind of have to build this presence and you kind of have to prove like your worth a little bit more to kind of stay on the ground and be able to do it. Um, When I was in my early twenties, I was terrified of failure. (laughs) So I didn't try. I just really (laughs) didn't try to do it. I was like, you know, maybe it's just not, maybe I'm just not cut out. Like maybe I'm not an artist. Like I, yeah, I can make good drawings, but like having a gallery, making it a business, having to, network for some reason in my mind because I thought I wasn't good at academic stuff I assumed I wouldn't be good at those things either so I kind of went through a lot of my 20s was just kind of drifting and figuring out what I wanted to do um so yeah so that's got that's kind of the long and short of it um but I as you know, when I moved to Chicago, I took a job. Um, I feel weird saying that it was a nanny position because it really, even when I was doing it, I felt more like it was a household assistant position. I was much more just making sure things were running smoothly so that your parents could mm-hmm. finish their work for the day and come home and then not have to worry about the bullshit and just spend their time with you. Yep. That's mostly what I did. Um, and so, but I have to say that the experience of like being in your home and I feel like the audience should know, like full disclosure, I, I was like your nanny, quote unquote, (laughs) even though you were like 13 when I started, like 
Andrea was babysitting other people. I was not, I never viewed myself as like her babysitter. I don't know why people like trusted me at 13 to watch their children, first of all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny, but I mean, same thing. I mean, when I was 13, I was babysitting other people's kids. Like, and like, not that you didn't need someone around to help you out with stuff, but like, it definitely it was just really funny when I would try to explain to people they're like yeah. oh, you nanny how old are the kids and I'm like well I'm not I'm not like a I'm a household assistant yeah <laughs> I like basically just take care of the nonsense so <laughs> that was an amazing experience actually because I grew up in a house that was not had like little to zero structure um and pros and cons to that for sure. But watching how your parents did everything and handled you guys, you guys had such a wonderful stable home that had like order to it. And like, it just, it was very different from the home that I grew up in. And I learned so much from doing that. And it was very eye-opening to me that like, oh, you can conduct, you know, your life and your business and your family differently. It doesn't have to be flying by the seat of your pants all the time, which is funny. It makes, that implies that I have figured out how to do it the way your family did it. And I have not. (laughs) I am very much flying by the seat of my pants, but I know it's possible. I know I, I, I was, my, my parents are like a unique breed <laughs> they are but they are but it's like it, it's wonderful and like I I interviewed with like three families and there I just remember and I feel like your mom and I talked about this mm-hmm. not long after I started but there was just this like right away this connection where I was like yes I yeah. I align with these people and the ethos with which they want to raise their kids and yeah you know how they support each other and um and it was a great fit right out the gate so yeah. that was awesome Absolutely. Um, you're like my my big sister to me that's how I always that's kind of how I feel too <laughs> I was I think I was telling my husband I was like I feel like Andrea's like my my baby sister (laughs) yeah you know yeah and I don't have an older sister so it was always a good like figure and relationship for me to have yeah you know well and I felt like I related to you really well because in my family I'm also the oldest and I'm the older sister yep and I understood your desire for there to be a right way to do things and to figure it out and to do it the right way and to execute it. I understood. I understood what it felt like to be like, I have this vision mm-hmm. and I just need everyone to comply with it. And it'll be amazing if they yeah. just trust me. Like <laughs> so. maybe we both have the fear of failure <laughs> a little bit. In yeah. The- I think it's an <laughs> oldest, it's definitely it an oldest thing. Yeah. I think there's like for perfectionism sure. in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, and I see it in Edith. It's fun. so my husband is an oldest, mm-hmm. and now Edith is an oldest only. So we're a house of three oldest onlys, um, which is really intense sometimes. Oh, I bet. And <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. And what I notice is that we we tend to like approach new things with this mindset of like, 
if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best at it. I have to understand it backwards and forwards. I have to have all the right tools. I have to have all the right information and I have to excel at it. Um, and I am in now through therapy, trying to unlearn some of this right. and realize that like, Hey, sometimes it's okay to just like do something because you enjoy doing it. <laughs> like yeah. You don't, you don't need to be the expert. You don't need to be the resource. Like it's okay if you just want to goof around with, you know, whatever it is that I, I want to try. Totally. Um, I feel like that brings me to kind of a question for you here mm-hmm. um, on your journey, because you mentioned how like fear of failure in your twenties um, mm-hmm. sort of made it hard to like take a big leap into your art. And at mm-hmm. the same time, I feel like growing up with art, being good at art, mm-hmm. I mean, something you probably enjoyed very much. And I've also yeah. heard like when you take that leap to just pursue something more professionally, how does that, does that kind of enjoyment level change? Cause now you have kind of other tasks yeah. associated with it, like creating a business structure around it or however you manage it. So can you talk a little bit about how you went from that, like, Ah, I don't know if I can do this to, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. And this is how, like I decided to. Yeah. So I think, um, with that, first of all, I want to say, um, I like, I'm, what am I like 15 years older than you? Something Maybe that. I'm like, push. I'm, I'm like 39. Yes. Then yes. Okay. 25. Like, yeah, right in there. Mm-hmm. So I, what I have finally realized is that that fear of failure never actually goes away. Like <laughs> it's never, it's never a thing you actually overcome or stop having. It's just, you learn to live with it and function in spite of it. Um, but that takes a lot of practice and it just takes doing it over and over and over and over again. Um, so I, I think a lot of what I struggled with too, was that when I was in my twenties and I never totally stopped painting or stopped drawing, there was a part of me that always felt like I have this responsibility. Like I went and got this degree. It is something I get a lot of satisfaction out of, but it's just really hard for me to conceptualize what it is that I'm doing. Like why, why do I need to have a voice and why do I need to put a brush to canvas? I was really struggling with justifying it to myself. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of an epiphany one day when I was like writing the red line and I was going to my other job. Um, I worked as like a bridal stylist for a while. And it dawned on me that I was like, oh, because as a society, we treat creative pursuits um, as kind of frivolous, unless you're making money from it. And then it's like, oh, okay, well then you're serious rather than it just being like, oh no, I, I spend time making art cause I want to make art or I spend time building. Um, like I even like look at like Edith and she builds with like Legos, like as if building with Legos is not a good thing to do with your time. It's not, it's not a valuable expenditure of that. And I realized I needed to switch that narrative in my mind that actually 
sitting down and doodling and like drawing and sketching and not making a masterpiece or something that I wanted to sell, but just making something I was enjoying making um, was valid and did need space. And it takes a long time to train your brain to feel that way. And I, I feel like I run into this a lot when I meet people who are switching into doing something creative, they feel like guilty when they take those days to just play around with their medium or their, like, I'm thinking in particular of this artist I met and she like went to school for biology and she was like 20 and she was like, I want to be a fine arts photographer. And I remember she was just like, I just feel, how do you overcome that feeling of like, oh, I wasted my day because I, yeah. I didn't make something. I didn't produce something. And everyone, uh, I was in a mentoring group with a bunch of artists and all the other artists were like, you have to have those days. Yeah. And like in a corporate structure, that doesn't make sense. Like your product, you're measured by your productivity, yeah. right? So if, if what you're doing is taking a long time and there's not a product right after it, it seems like it's a waste. But when you're doing something creative, it's not about the product. You have to go through a lot of experimenting and processes and end up with nothing as a result, but, but more knowledge about what you can do. I was just going to add, I think it's interesting, the point on productivity too, because when you're pursuing something that doesn't necessarily like maybe fit the standard definition of, oh, I'm having a productive day and I'm like- right doing these tasks that I'm supposed to do as like, you know, a hardworking, whatever adult, but that takes a lot of work and energy. And it's a whole different kind of like skill and part of Mm -hmm. your brain that you have to just like flex and learn and and practice. And it's, you have to, I feel like go through that kind of evolution period, you know, to just like where you want to take things, even when they don't feel productive in the moment. So I feel like that's a interesting, like, kind of way to think about it and it's almost counterintuitive to what we're trained to think even though it is going to lead right. to being more productive it may not feel yeah. like a classic definition of productivity or something yeah in the moment so did you kind of go through that for like several years before you, you had like maybe a mindset shift of okay I want to I know you you know you made your website you started selling your mm-hmm. art more like what got you to that mm-hmm. point so when I was, so when I was working at a, as a bridal stylist, um, I was working for Beholden, which is like the anthropology bridal company. Right. Um, and I loved doing it. I loved uh, what I've learned about myself as a person, like art fits in the category of things I love because my, my favorite equation to solve is how do we make this better, prettier, cooler, like taking something and making it even better than what it was. Yeah. That's like, that's the biggest high for me. Love that. So I was getting that experience working in bridal because I was working with these women and it was cool because I got to like work with these women and be like, you're in this dress and it is beautiful on you. And like, this is the one thing you get in the wedding that's all you, right? You have to compromise on so many other things. Like this is you. 
And then to just know instinctively what are going to be those perfect pieces that's going to make them really light up. So I did, I did bridal for a long time. And the point of that is that um, it stimulated my sense of creativity. Um, it made me feel energized. I had fun doing it. Yeah. And I wasn't drained when I went home at the end of the day and oh. wanted to make my art. Um, and I found when I worked jobs where I was doing graphic design work, where I had to make something for someone else that was like, okay. And then, you know, you create a whole thing and then they're like, oh, we need you to change this or, oh, we need to add this thing. Or you, you find that you're taking orders from people who don't understand aesthetics whatsoever. Yeah. And, and it's exhausting. Away from like your art. Too, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's exhausting. So you, that chips away. And I, what I quickly realized that I was like, a lot of people think that like going into graphic arts and design is a natural segue. And for some people it works great. And I know lots of people who have done that, but for me, it sucked out all my energy. Mm-hmm. And then I never wanted to paint. I never wanted to make my own stuff. I never wanted to think about my own thing because I was like so sick of thinking about how to make it all work. So I found that bridal was like this happy medium. It was a social place. I work really good when I'm face to face with people. Um, I had a lot of fun there and like all the products were beautiful. I was also like getting married so it was very interesting to me like I was very in the know of like what was going on so it was cool so I I I built a lot of confidence in my ability to do sales um and I realized I actually did have a knack for it and that I could understand how how a business works that I could look at the numbers of what I was selling and how much time I was expending and I was starting to understand those equations better when before they would have intimidated me quite a bit. And then the pandemic happened. Um, And leading up to the pandemic, I had Edith and I was home on maternity leave. And I remember sitting on my couch and just being like, just sick of streaming Netflix and like just tired. And I was just scrolling on Instagram and I was like, God, I miss knowing what's going on in the art world I kind of miss no like who who are the big artists right now what are they making what are they talking about and it dawned on me that some of my favorite artists that I hadn't followed up on since I was in college were probably on Instagram and sure enough I started following all these artists and then I started finding more artists that they were sharing and I started to recognize that there were groups of artists out there that were making the kind of work that I had wanted to make Mm-hmm. Um, and they were doing it and it was doable and it was valid and it had an audience. And I think I had always doubted that my work would have an audience. And so when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? I've been like staying up at night. Like tr- when you, when you find yourself going out of your way to sneak away, to make work, to make something, that has yeah. nothing to do with, with like, I want to make this because I want to make money or it's just exciting to do it um, to the point that it's like, okay, I'm going to put my kid to bed and I'm going to stay up till one in the morning and work on this painting because I'm so excited about it. That was like, that came back 
to me after I had Mm -hmm. Edith and like was discovering all these artists on Instagram and realizing that like, oh, what I was doing had always been valid. I just didn't give myself enough credit to to push through and figure it out. And that's such a polar opposite statement too to what you said about the like graphic design and artwork mm. there of oh I'd come home I'd be like drained I was mm-hmm. done for the day and this is something that at like 10 p.m at night you're mm-hmm. amped to do and I think that's yeah a good example of knowing kind of where what path is better for you you know like really being in touch with how to mm-hmm. feel at the end of the day um, yeah it's super cool how much like community kind of played into it too it sounds like yeah Well, and I was working with a lot of girls that were super smart, super creative. So through that, I ended up meeting people who were doing, who were writing up art reviews in the reader in Chicago, or were designing and launching fashion lines or whatever it was. Um, And all of them were also needing to show up for a paycheck. But it obviously was a good space for us because all of us had space when we went home to continue doing that thing. And I think at some point I realized I want to, I want to long-term shift to my primary income coming from my artist studio. But I think I, when I was 20, I expected like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go have some shows and then like a succession of things will play out and it will be a very straight path. And when it wasn't, I assumed it meant because the path was telling me that I shouldn't keep going when in reality, it's like no part of the path is sometimes having to backtrack and like go off the beaten path and loop around a little bit before you can move forward. Um, And I think I was finally able to recognize that when, by the time the pandemic happened. And so when the pandemic happened, I got laid off. I took that opportunity as like, I was very fortunate that the financial situation that Kevin and I were in, we had a little wiggle room and I was like, I'm just going to hit the ground running. um, And just like bulldoze as far as I can and see where I can get, right? And if if I, I don't get far enough to gain traction, I'll peel back, I'll get another job, I'll continue moving forward, but I have an opportunity to like supercharge this, let's do it. So I did, and I, um, I found a mentor who was holding workshops for artists who wanted to break into the art world. And Um, we worked on my website, we worked on my artist statement, we worked on my Instagram, we worked on everything. And I was having these weekly meetings with all all these other artists at various stages in their career and swapping ideas and immediately being inserted into a community of people. And I think when you do something creative, it is all about what, what you can do with the community you put yourself in. Because if you try doing it by yourself, you won't get very far. Um, With with creative stuff, you have to know people and you have to take care of the people you know and the people you know will take care of you. Um, And it's it's a really important element. And I think I felt right after art school like I didn't have 
anything to bring to a community and I didn't feel like I had one and then at some point after I had Edith I was like oh the community aspect is up to me like I have to show up I have to get I have to have met I have to go to the shows I have to introduce myself to the other artists I have to follow people on Instagram I have to participate can you talk a little bit about how you like found that community or the right community for you I feel like Mm -hmm. that's such like an abyss if you just look up like photographers artists like whatever it is events like like where do you go how do you get there um so for art the um a lot of artists um there are shows that you can go to like openings and events and art fairs and things like that for me the I kind of talked about that workshop I took. So through snooping around on Instagram, I started following these other figurative artists um, that were making paintings and drawings that I loved and they were really successful. And I started to pay attention. I'm like, where are they going? Where are they showing? Who do they know? Who are they hanging out with? What, what galleries do they talk to? Um, and I just started kind of following the breadcrumb trail and there was a woman that I noticed who would be in the background of a lot of these art openings that I was like, Oh, if I was in New York, this is an opening I'd want to go to. And I would notice her in the background she would be tagged. And once I saw that she was tagged by three different artists that I knew that I respected, I was like, who is this girl? Clicked on her, opened her page and she, her background was that she had worked, um, she had a degree in art history and she had worked in the New York gallery scene for 15 years and really loved just working with artists and wanted to start a business that was just helping artists understand how to protect themselves and run their business so that whether they're working with a gallery or not, they could understand the business side of things that she could break that down and kind of lift that veil. Um, so I was like, I'm signing up for this workshop. And so I did, and it was a hugely valuable investment. It was expensive up front, but I think the reason I got as far as I did um, has a lot to do with working with her because she could, I could have spent days, weeks, months toiling over my artist statement, trying to get it right and not feeling good about it. And she was able to edit it and kind of be my proofreader. And within 45 minutes we had it done and I didn't have to think about it anymore. That's awesome. She just really helped me slice through a lot of that stuff that was bogging me down. And I began to recognize the value of knowing my strengths and knowing when to involve someone when they're better at something than I can be right. Like knowing how to pool your resources. Those are the sorts of things. I think, I think the greatest way to know, the greatest way to know how to get to where you want to go is to see people who are doing the thing you want to do and then kind of stalk them. (laughs) I like that's what I did yeah I have these artists I'm like if I ran into them I would be like oh blah 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 and they would be like who are you but I did I just started stalking people but because I was stalking people and paying attention I found 
um, Marina, and I'm going to plug Marina, Marina Granger of the Artist Advisory. If you are an artist out there who is looking to like level up or figure out how to navigate breaking into the art world, um, and you feel like you didn't get that from your art school education, which I know a lot of people out there feel that way, um, highly recommend her. And the community of artists she has worked with, I, I love them. They're, they're wonderful people. So well worth it. You really, but I, I was going to add, you really sound like you have to like put yourself out there and kind of have the mindset shift of, okay, I'm really 110% going to go for this. I'm going to like find that community. I'm going to invest my time, my money, like invest in myself. Right. And growing that. And also I feel like it's so cool and like necessary to point out the the help of kind of social media and doing this. I have no idea how you would kind of go about this without yeah. like having those yeah. avenues to find people that are, you know, pursuing your same type of art. Cause you, like you said, there are so many Instagram accounts and workshops mm-hmm. and all these things, resources online too, that you can find. So I feel like it's really cool that we have all that at our fingertips if we're like using it the right way. Well, and that's the trick, right? Because there's so much, right? right? It's so much. And like, how do you know what's worth hanging on to and what's worth scrolling past? Um, And I think when you have a good mentor, which I did, um, she was really good at reminding me that like, just go back to look at the people who are showing where you want to show, who are selling what you want to sell, who or have some aspect of their career is something that you want to embody and then go look at their resume, go look at their activity, go look where they're going, go look who they're talking to, go look who they're friends with, follow those galleries, repost those galleries. That, that tip alone was like the, what probably the most powerful tool for me as someone who is like an emerging artist Mm -hmm. and had stepped out of the art world for so long and was out of the loop, look at who you want to be and emulate that. That's advice. I think that goes across a lot of different Mm -hmm. career paths, right? Like finding the people that you really admire and learning from them, emulating them. So once you found that in kind of your art career here, what happened like after that? What took you to where, where you are now? Kind of fill us in. So I, I accomplished a lot in that first year. I got my own art studio outside of the home, which was huge. I showed in probably like six group shows that year, which was good. Like that was the most I had ever shown in a year. I got published in a couple of art magazines I got a collector who I adore, who ended up, who, it was the first time I had someone who was going out of their way to buy art that I was just making rather than it being like, Hey, can you do a painting of my dog? You know, like the commission work. It was the first time I had a collector who was like, no, I want to collect an original. Um, And that was, yeah, that was amazing. That was really a powerful experience. Um, and then I think that probably would have continued onward. I suffered, um, a big setback last year. My, my dad died real suddenly when I was down in St. Louis visiting my family. Mm -hmm. And 
it was very sudden and unexpected. He, it wasn't like, you know, he had been ill and it was something we thought this was going to happen. I had literally spent the afternoon with him, with my daughter playing. And then he had had a heart attack that night. So it was very disorienting. And I just didn't, I had to stop. I couldn't, I couldn't throw myself into the grind of like keeping up on my Instagram and keeping up on my website and um, all that extra stuff Mm -hmm. that you have to do. Um, I just didn't have it in me to do it. And so I just paused and I, I think um, I really threw myself really hard back into therapy Um, and I really started working through a lot of things to do with my ADD that I had been neglecting for years and years, um, and trying to figure that out because I've, I'm now recognizing ways that my ADD has misled me to believe that I, I'm not good at things when in reality, it's like, no, I am. I just have to do it a different way. And if I just stop and figure out what the different way is, I'll do it very well. So things like that, just learning about myself, learning to deal with my grief. Um, And I feel like I'm finally coming around to a point where I'm ready to gear up and start putting out more work again. But I had to go get a part-time job because I didn't have the energy to take on commission work. and do that. So I started working, uh, for a company called room and board. They have a three-day role where it's part-time it's 24 hours a week and it's salaried and I have health insurance benefits and I have this reliable income and reliable schedule and, um, reliable healthcare that by removing those stressors, I finally feel like I have space and my days off to work on the art I really want to work on. Yep. Um, rather than trying to fill that time with commission work to pay the bills. And I like doing it. It's not that I don't want to do commission work. I like doing it, but there has to be, there comes a point where it's like, if you're doing too much commission and not enough of your own stuff, it, it's not fun anymore. Right. right? Like there's this balance of like a percentage of my month needs to be commission work, but I need to really preserve that space for the work I actually want to be making. Right. And the I think people that I want to be goes back to that equation of like, okay, you have art that you've been passionate about forever and to pursue it, you know, you to an extent need to kind of do mm-hmm. pieces or get that graphic design feedback, but you can't like have too much of it. Otherwise it takes away from the enjoyment of it. So I feel like it's helpful to know that balance and what you're comfortable with. And it sounds like you've had so much self-discovery and learning along the way, which is really cool in like a lot of different ways. Um, But yeah, I feel like having that balance, trying to find that balance. And I love what you said too, about how your job you found now gives you some of the securities that you want to like not have to worry about but you still Mm -hmm. now have the room emotionally mentally etc to like pursue your art so do you have any any tips for finding that balance for striking that balance I feel like yes question but so I would 
say, um, hold on real quick. I just want to yeah. backpedal this Hit, job that I have now quick. and why I love it. You're going to love this. <laughs> so the job, again, it's the same equation. How do I take this room that you've presented me with and fill it in a way that feels good and looks good. Again, it's like the design, just like putting together a look for someone's wedding day and putting together a look for someone's living room or bedroom or patio or whatever. Um, And we use this program where we can floor plan with the furniture. Mm -hmm. And Andrea, I basically get paid to play The Sims. No way. Yes. I'm so jealous. I mean, I have to talk to people. Like I have to do the sales thing. It's not 24 seven playing the Sims. But when we went through the training, they were like, okay, we're going to train you in this program on how to floor plan. And I sat down on the computer. I was like, click, 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 click. They're like, wow, you really get this. I'm like, this is just like playing the Sims. And I can't believe that I'm doing this. And someone's giving me a paycheck for doing this for people because it's delightful. Sims was like my childhood. I know, I know. And it was like, I played a lot of Sims, you know, in my early 20s and my high school years. And uh, I I just want to say like, just, just because you can't work a full-time thing, there are things out there you can do to supplement income that will still bring you joy. As long as what you're doing has some aspect of it that you enjoy doing, um, it's going to be worth your time. And I will also say that sometimes with the creative stuff where it's more open-ended, it's more abstract. There's not like a straight line formula, like in corporate where it's like, okay, you get this degree, you get these certifications, you're qualified for these things. It's very easy to map ahead. When you're doing something creative, the map is open-ended and you get to kind of make it, but you can definitely choose paths that are tougher than other ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's important to know that like, if you need to pause on something, if what you're doing that is creative, that you loved at first and you're not loving it anymore, it's probably time to pause and step back from that and I think it's important to know that like just because you're pausing from it doesn't mean you've given up or it's over or you failed sometimes the pause is you need to just stop for a second and look around and see where what you've done has taken you and sometimes you can latch on to something else but you sometimes just need that time to reflect on where you are um and you wait, you wait for that thing to come along that like makes you want to sneak off to the dining room at 11 o'clock yeah. at night when you've got to work the next day. And, you yeah. know, I love that. If that's, there, if that's there, you're on the right path. Oh, for sure. And that's all really great advice. Cause I think there's such an emphasis on having this plan. Like, like at my age, you know, a few years out of college, you mm-hmm. enter this abyss or whatever, and yeah. it's no yeah. longer a structured like path you have to take like school was right. that's scary for a lot of people so I think it's really great to hear you say how like the path can diverge the path mm-hmm. can go in ways you don't think it will the path can leave your art it can leave your passion yeah. entirely totally saying. and maybe that's healthy because maybe you need to reflect you know totally totally and, and the, the 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 kind of that 
that golden carrot that you follow the thing that is like exciting that you want to do it's gonna sometimes it'll lead you to places that you're just like like really I'm gonna like I'm I do I really want to learn how to like cross stitch like portraits on a pillow I don't know why but I want to you know like yeah the weirdest stuff will come up where you don't know why you want to do it you just do those are the things you have to give them space to say what they need to say because a lot of times through the act of just physically doing that creative thing you get to the end and you're like oh this gave me a new idea for the thing I was working on before and I don't necessarily want to like full-time cross stitch but like by going through this different I learned something about what works and what doesn't you find new truths yeah um, and you bring that back to your you know kind of your basket and, and I like you've been really good at identifying that too along like talking through your yeah. whole journey from like you know working as nanny house assistant yeah. to at building is that how you say it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. every step of the way you're able to say, oh, this helped me and this helped me in this way. And it all kind of tied together and where you are now. All of it was important. All of it was useful. At no point in the time where I wasn't producing art, was I not experiencing something that was really important to have in my toolbox for what I need now. Yeah. And I think that's important to know. I, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized I have to stay away from absolutes. I have to stay away from this idea like, oh, I'll never work in a, at a desk job at a computer ever again. In my mind, I'd like to not do that. But like, does it mean that there isn't something out there that will require me to go through that path? Yeah. Um, and to think that we know better than what the creative path does is absolutely <laughs> silly. Right. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's not sensical and you just have to trust it. And a lot of trusting it comes to trusting yourself. Yeah. Those are all really great pieces of advice. One, one last question I'll ask you, mm -hmm. I ask here at this point in your life, you're balancing a lot, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm art mm -hmm. job other job like all these different things that you have going on um what kind of keeps inspiring you to follow your art what keeps you motivated how are you balancing it talk a little bit about that um I think it just brings me so much joy I think I think the thing about doing something creative when you are an incredibly inclined person it always comes back to visit you know if you're burned out and you need time off, take that time off, but it, it will come back and it will reveal itself to you. And I no longer worry about, you know, just being like, oh my gosh, if I stop doing this, will I ever be able to do it again? The answer is yes. Like yeah. you, there's a great, I'll send it to you. There's a great, um, it's a meme and the artist, you think her name is Michelle real or Ryle. I don't know how to say her last name, but I want to credit her because it gets ripped off all the time, but she has this meme and it's like a timeline. And at the beginning, it's like birth. And at the end death, and there's like a dot that's like three quarters of the way through life. And it's like what I thought was too late, you know, or too late. 
And then after death, it's like, actually too late. Like, actually, it's never, you're alive. Yeah. It's never too late. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that is true. There's a lot of, you have to exercise a lot of blind trust. And I think when you're pursuing something creative, that's the, that's the most important skill you can strengthen is trust in yourself and trust in the process and being able to let go. That's amazing. This has been such an interesting and insightful conversation for me. I'm so grateful to do this. I always yes. love talking to you. You give honestly the best advice you always have. So, oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. And we should also like actually go out and like have a have a glass of wine or yes. coffee or something and catch up because I, yes. I would love to swap stories with you. Absolutely, we'll definitely do that. I want to know too before we fully close this off here. Where can we support you? Tell us how we can support local artists, like all the details on where people can find you and your art. Uh, So I would say, so you can find me, uh, my website is, uh, all of my uh, technology at home is like geriatric. (laughs) Like my (laughs) my iPad's from like 2011. My my MacBook is from like 2012. I have a I have an iPhone 8. Basically all the systems are failing. So I have been postponing updating my website. So I'm not gonna recommend my website right now because I can't even look at it because my computer's system is so old. It's like, I don't know, is this a safe website? I'm like, yes, no, my website, but okay. That's so funny. But at any rate, but you can follow me on Instagram at Erin Elizabeth O Art and it's Elizabeth with a Z. Um, and I, am. I'll post, I post time-lapse videos and just stuff that I'm working on. I love those. Um, in terms of supporting the arts, um, gosh, Chicago has so many things. Um, I, I'll take this moment to plug, uh, my friend, Whitney Oliver. She's a studio manager at a great organization down at the Bridgeport Arts Center called Project Onward. And they are an art studio that houses um, artists with disabilities and they do portrait slams around the city. I highly recommend following their Instagram because they'll, they'll go to different bars and like you can pay 25 bucks and they'll like do a portrait of your family or whatever. And it's like super fun and super interactive. I think that their studio is very like public friendly the way that you buy art there is like very casual. The artists are like really cool. So I highly recommend them. Um, You can see all kinds of art listings on uh, uh, Chicago. What is it called? It's like Chicago gallery news. I'll send you the link and then you can post it. I'll definitely share. Yeah. And it'll say what art events are going on, but, um, Chicago has so many amazing art stuff. And now that we're moving into the summer, there'll be so many public art things and stuff to go see. I also just recommend like, just go walk around your neighborhood. We have so many great muralists and graffiti artists and like every, I, I see things every day that I'm so inspired by just by living in the city. So just go out of your house. Now yeah. that the weather's warming up, go walk around. Get out, people. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Amazing. Get thank that you. vitamin D. Yes. Well, thank you again, Erin. I really, really love talking to you today. So appreciate it. 
Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Yes. Thank you everybody. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.